Hey, Drilled listeners, we have a special update episode for you today. Stephen Donziger's contempt trial, which we opened this season with, is about to start on Monday. There's been a ton of back and forth between him and the judges. Several requests for a delay have been denied. Donziger was requesting that the trial be delayed, mostly so that he could have a lawyer present. So at this point, the trial is happening on Monday, and he will not have a lawyer present as far as we know as of the Thursday before. He is being held in contempt as a result of a civil contempt charge that basically came out of this RICO judgment against him and some of the plaintiffs and some of the other plaintiffs' attorneys in 2014. Part of the judgment in that case was that Donziger and a few other of the named defendants were not allowed to profit in any way from the collection of the judgment in the Ecuadorian case. Chevron suspected that Donziger was doing something that ran afoul of that ruling. They asked Judge Kaplan to do something about it. They asked for what's called post-judgment discovery, which is to be allowed to kind of look into it and see if Donziger was in fact making money off of getting this judgment. Judge Kaplan granted that. They asked for Donziger to hand over his computer and his phone and various other things. He refused. That's how the civil contempt charge came about. And then when Donziger continued to refuse to hand over his devices because he said it would violate attorney-client privilege, Judge Kaplan filed a criminal contempt charge against him. That is the reason that he's been on house arrest since August 2019, so over a year at this point. My co-reporter on this series, Karen Savage, has been following this part of the story very closely, and she's joining me today to bring us an update on where we're at now and what to expect on Monday. That's all coming up right after this quick break. spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires, and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED 
to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DROPED. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. to tell you about one of my favorite climate podcasts, Mothers of Invention. Their tagline is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. So good. And Mothers of Invention is a climate justice podcast like you've never heard before. Join former Irish president Mary Robinson, comedian Maeve Higgins, and series producer Thamali Kodikara as they celebrate Black, Brown, and Indigenous leaders all over the world fighting from the front lines. Of course, one of my personal favorites is their recent episode with Mary Annie's Hegler, my co-host on Hot Take, and my favorite person to listen to on climate justice. But really, I listen to every episode. They're all great. Find Mothers of Invention wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Karen. Hey, Amy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, <laughs> remind people... What exactly these contempt charges came out of, both the civil and the the criminal? The civil contempt charges stemmed from, of course, the RICO the RICO case that was filed against Stephen and the the plaintiffs and really almost anybody that was connected with that case in Ecuador by Chevron, and then um, the ruling in 2014 by Judge Lewis Kaplan was that you know that judgment was procured through corruption and fraud and wasn't enforceable in the United States. So one of the things that was ordered by Judge Kaplan was that Stephen Donziger. And some of the other defendants would not be able to profit from the collection of the judgment. And so as time wore on, Chevron kind of pushed back and and said, you know, we think this guy is trying to profit from the collection of this judgment. And so they asked for, for, um, you know, they went back and forth in court and eventually asked for post-judgment discovery. Which, yeah, so just to, like, for people who don't know what discovery is, they're basically asking, like, to to poke around and see if he is, in fact, trying to profit from this judgment, right? Right. And so, you know, eventually they, Chevron asked for civil contempt charges, 
which the judge agreed to, and in the end asked Stephen and said, you know, look, you need to turn over your devices for forensic examination. And there were some other things, too. I think they wanted him to turn over his passport. They wanted him to sign off on some paperwork related to the case in Ecuador. And so his, I think his biggest <laughs> issue here, and actually it's a really important point to make, is that he's always said, if the Second Circuit says I need to do this, I will. Um, so he's refusing to comply with the lower court's order to turn this stuff over. But with the caveat that, but if it's confirmed by the Second Circuit, okay. Once you turn over your computer and your phone and all this stuff for imaging, you can't then take it back, right? Once Chevron has all this stuff and has seen it, they're not going to unsee it. So anyway, there was back and forth once the civil contempt charges were filed. There was back and forth um, between, you know, Donziger, who's like, I can't do this. It will endanger the folks in Ecuador. Um, and then, you know, he just re he refused. And eventually Chevron kept asking for the, the civil contempt, which were, was ordered. And in 2019, in the summer, Kaplan filed criminal contempt charges and then ordered them to appear, I think it was early August, in front of Judge Loretta Prescott. Um, so that's how they ended up there. So I know we have some news from Donziger's criminal contempt proceedings, which we started this season talking about. And I was hoping you could kind of tell me what's happening now. I know they've asked for some extensions and some things have been going on. What's the latest? Yeah, so he's been asking for an extension until early December, since late mm -hmm. summer, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, one of which is the COVID-19 crisis, um, you know, and just the safety of people being in an enclosed courtroom for potentially two or three weeks, however long the trial takes. So there's that consideration, the safety. And then, you know, in, in that same vein is that the witness, many of his witnesses are in Ecuador or I think there's one in Spain and different places. And so just travel there back and forth is not possible. But the judge has just repeatedly denied request to move the trial to that December date. And the December date was actually brought up because he's had a number of, a couple of his attorneys were disqualified because of their previous involvement in some of the stuff that's going to be at the heart of this trial. And a couple, one has withdrawn and another one is like 87 and he's worried about the COVID crisis and so can't, you know, can't represent Steve. And so he right now just has one attorney, Lauren Reagan, who's amazing, but she is in Oregon and right. is trying to decide whether or not she can be there in person. It's just been so bizarre. Like I've, you know, since re becoming the last of the lawyers on his team, you know, I thought by, you know, taking kind of a respectful, professional approach and just sort of saying, like, I'm his only lawyer and I'm in Oregon and we have all these Ecuadorian witnesses. Like, what are we going to do? You know, I assume, I mean, almost every other federal court that I'm in right now, which I have three other, I have a federal court case in California, one in Iowa and one in Colorado, and all of them have punted big felony, you know, major case trials to like March, you know, one, we have a status call in December just to reset it again. Yeah. Like almost all federal courts are just sort of like, we don't want you in our space. And if the client 
isn't demanding a trial now. You know, like if they're not in custody and, you know, demanding a trial, the courts are just sort of like, great, we don't have to deal with you right now, you know, bye-bye. Right. And the fact that this court is prioritizing a petty misdemeanor just really kind of illustrates the level of vindictiveness and retaliation that's going on here. And I think also just like, you know, the power of Chevron to influence the legal system has been pretty daunting. Um, but even before, let me back up, because in August, like they kind of realized that this was going to be somewhat of the situation. So Ronald Kuby from New York, who's a pretty well-known um, attorney here, had volunteered to represent Stephen Pro Bono. But, you know, as lawyers do, his calendar is busy. He's a really good right. lawyer, and his calendar, he's got things planned out. When we're talking about uh, a defendant who is on home confinement, charges that are among the most uh, minor or the least serious that can be found, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and he has a far-flung legal team that said in the summer, we can't try the case in September. You know that, Judge. Let's put it on for December 7th, where he can have counsel of choice who's here in New York, avoiding right. future problems, unless the city is locked down again. It's extraordinary. It's unprecedented. I've never seen such totally reasonable requests be denied, and especially denied in such a, a nasty fashion. And eventually the trial, which was, like you said, scheduled for early September, was moved until initially it was scheduled for Election Day to start November 3rd. Um, yeah. And so Stephen and Laura Regan and them are like, yeah, we can't do that. And this judge said, oh, my mistake. I forgot it was November 3rd. I mean, this judge is a member of the Federalist Society. Nobody forgot this election is November 3rd. If there's one date that is seared into American consciousness is November 3rd. So then she changed it. Instead of to December 7th, she changed it to November 4th. So then initially she changed it to November 4th. And then there was another request for delay. And now where are we at? So the, the next request for delay was really because of these witnesses. Um, couldn't get to New York. And, you know, with the COVID-19 crisis getting worse and worse, um, New York is actually fairly doing fairly well with that. But other places are not. And so, you know, the travel restrictions from other places to New York are increasing. So, um in order to accommodate the witnesses who are now going to have to testify remotely, um, she ordered the delay. She allowed a five-day delay to kind of figure out what the parameters are going to be for, what the procedures will be for video witnesses. Um, right. So that's right. kind of in the process now. There's been some kind of back and forth on that. And I think she just issued an order today um, kind of clarifying what, what her perspective is on that. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's scheduled to start on Monday. The trial is scheduled to start on Monday, November 9th, right? That's right. And I know Regan submitted a request to, to basically remove herself because she wouldn't be able to come. And Preska denied that, right? So why is that? I'm not exactly sure other than the fact that it's so late. Why, uh -huh. why that delay um, or why that was rejected? Um, but it was, and it seems... You know, I'm, I'm clearly not a lawyer, um, but generally when attorneys, one of Laura Regan's 
problems or, or issues with this and reasons for wanting to be withdrawn was that she felt uncomfortable representing Donziger in a in a different court where she's not used to practicing in a different state mm-hmm. where she doesn't live. And the normal procedure is that when attorneys do that, you know, attorneys will go from state to state or whatever. But they'll have like local counsel too. And Ronald QB is supposed to be that guy, but they won't delay the trial till he can be there. Right. And I think another one of her concerns is that she came into this case, um, I believe it was early July, maybe late June, and with the understanding that she would be working with a team of other lawyers. Um, and she, I don't think, ever planned on being the only, I know she didn't plan on being the only one to work on this case. And so that, I think, is something where she feels like, you know, she needs time to get herself completely prepared. And this is a huge case. You know, it's been going on in some form since 1993. Um, and so that's understandable. The other thing that Ronald talked to me about, and I don't know if uh, Lauren talked to you about this too, but was that, you know, a lot of this is really setting up any decision Preska comes to for uh, for appeal. And in fact, they've already appealed to the Second Circuit over some of the earlier things that were not addressed. And uh, Ronald Kuby seemed to think that that basically the appeals court was saying like, come back to us once a decision is made. So it's just, it's just, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason that judges will often coordinate with lawyers because one of the easiest ways to reverse a decision on appeal is lack of access to counsel. It's a pretty like fundamental part of the legal system. Right. And you brought up the second circuit, which I think is another really important point is that the, the civil contempt charges that are the underpinning right. of the criminal charges are right. under appeal. Um, those right. oral arguments were heard maybe September, um, but the decision hasn't, hasn't come out yet. So if the Second Circuit were to decide in Donziger's favor, then the whole thing is moot. There, you know, there are no right. criminal contempt charges if there were no civil contempt charges. Um, right. So I think that's a really big deal that I'm not completely sure how common that is that they don't wait for that appeal. So there's six different charges, but altogether, the maximum sentence that he would receive is six months in jail or $5,000, which is kind of crazy because he had to put up $800,000 in bail and he's been on house arrest for over a year. I have some funny tape from Ronald about that. Let's remember what's at stake here. These are six federal class B misdemeanors. Yes, they are, you know, a step above smoking pot in a national park, uh, but a step below almost every other federal crime you've ever heard of in your life. (laughs) The maximum penalty Donziger is facing is six months in jail. So it's not as though this is a trial of El Chapo Mm -hmm. that must go forward for the massive security procedures and the the concerns that are all around us about, you know, due process, the eyes of the world are making sure that El Chapo goes to trial. He's the head of this. No, these are a bunch of crappy little misdemeanors. In some ways, I feel like Chevron shoots themselves in the foot because whatever legit complaint they may have had, this is just so, like, so far. 
Yeah, totally. And then like he's like Stephen Donegger said, he's like, this is retaliatory. And it looks like that, you know, it's like, even if it didn't start that way, it now looks that way because it is so extreme. And then you have like this judge who's been told that the U.S. attorney doesn't even want to try the case. At that point, most judges just let something go, you know, (laughs) but then to go and find a private uh, a private prosecutor firm. And then the fact that they have ties to Chevron, like it just looks bad. I don't remember who one of the, one of the people I talked to or, or read something from said, you know, there are, it's New York. We have. That's Ronald Kuby. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There are prosecutors everywhere. Why not pick someone who has absolutely nothing to do with Chevron, who has nothing to do with anything and ask them to prosecute. Yeah. I'm going to play some tape from Ronald about that too. Well, the Southern District of New York was asked by Judge Kaplan to take over the prosecution, and they said, no, no, we don't have the resources to spare. Right. No, no. That was undoubtedly bullshit. Um, they, They have all the resources they need. It is, you know, a vast prosecutorial apparatus. What they didn't want to do was prosecute this case because the case is bullshit. That's a technical legal term. (laughs) Well, there is a provision in the federal rules of criminal procedure when the government refused to prosecute a a case, the judge in a contempt case can designate a private law firm or a private lawyer to conduct a prosecution on behalf of the United States of America. Here in the Southern District of New York, we have thousands of ex-assistant United States attorneys. You see them all the time on MSNBC. Oh, <laughs> right. former assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. I, there's an, an endless supply of them. Instead of going to one of those folks and somebody with a reputation who had earned a reputation in the prosecutor's office for integrity and, and propriety, of which there are many, he went to the law firm of Seward and Kissel, which has a long relationship with the oil and gas industry. And he appointed them. Actually, you know, I have some I have some good tape from our uh, like one of our first conversations with Donziger about Seward and Kissel and their whole background. Over time, we had a sneaking suspicion that Seward and Kissel and, and Rita Glavin and the whole firm had ties to Chevron. And we, we noticed that the Chevron lawyers from another Chevron private law firm, Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher, which had taken the lead in, in you know, prosecuting and persecuting me for 10 years in the RICO case, that they were showing up at all of my court hearings in the criminal contempt case. Uh, some of their lawyers were talking and, 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 and sort of, you know, talking in a very friendly, extensive way with the so-called independent prosecutor from the corporate law firm. This was back August, September. You know, I'm now talking to you in May. What we learned a month ago is even more shocking, which is that they finally admitted, the Seward and Kissel firm that's prosecuting me, they finally admitted that Chevron is a client of the law firm, Chevron itself. What's interesting about that is that it wasn't disclosed up front. Right. If if Donziger um, and his team at that point hadn't asked for this full disclosure, it would never have come out. 
And even when it did in reading that report, it's kind of minimized. You know, right. we are free from conflicts and we haven't represented Chevron in over a year or something like, <laughs> really like, right. wow, okay, wait a minute, hold on. Anything else you think folks should know? The one thing that strikes me in their rush to get this case tried during COVID is that, you know, there are a number of people waiting for trials. Um, right. And a good chunk of those folks are most likely incarcerated. It seems like something that is meant to send a message um, about how attorneys should look at taking on cases against big companies. Yeah, I keep telling people this is sort of like a slap on steroids where, you know, the biggest kid on the block, you know, the biggest oil and gas corporation has made it their goal to scare lawyers away from suing them, you know, and other industries. I mean, I really feel like that's sort of the what this is really about. Exactly, exactly. I mean, think about it if you're a young attorney just out of law school trying to decide which way to go with your career. Will you choose to go up against a big corporation? And if you do, how rigorously will you push that? You know, yeah. I think the message that it sends, like like so many other people have said, is chilling. And you know, when, when Steven said this is retaliatory, regarding the civil contempt, I kind of, you know, as a reporter, I'm like, okay, everything people say, I have to kind of look into. And as I looked mm -hmm. into that with the delays and with uh, refusing to schedule in accordance with the attorney's schedules and all of these things added up together, I couldn't say, no, it's not. Yeah. We will be watching this unfold on Monday. It's entirely possible that there will be some sort of last minute change because that's happened like a few times in this case. So we'll, we'll keep people updated on that. I am gonna go in person. Maybe we'll have you give us a little update after that hearing too. Drilled is an original production of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. The show was created, reported, and written by me, Amy Westervelt. My co-reporter this season is Karen Savage. Our editor is Julia Ritchie. The show's editorial consultant is Rika Murthy. Mixing and mastering by Mark Bush. Original score by B. Beeman. Fact-checking by Wudan Yan. Our artwork for this season was done by the super talented Matt Fleming. Special thanks to Trevor Gowan and Emily Gertz. If you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you. Your money is helping to make this season. And as a special thank you to Patreon members, we're providing a variety of benefits, including bonus content and early access to episodes in this season. If that sounds appealing to you or you just want to support our work, go over to patreon.com drilled and sign up. We also have some merch associated with that. You can find stories, documents, and photos related to this season on our website at drillednews.com. That's it for this time. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.